Good morning. This is Chris Williamson, Senior Pastor of Strong Tower Bible Church, and I want to bring you greetings in the name of the Lord. Um, for those who have come to our website or to our uh, podcast looking to hear the message that was preached on the second Sunday of September, um, we had trouble with our um, internet service and with our live streaming. And so what was preached in the sanctuary on September 9th uh, was not downloaded. And because of the importance of that message in laying a foundation for our series on heaven is like, I decided to take a moment to um, just go over the basic premise of that message to give you those finer biblical points um, so that you can build with us as we learn more and more about uh, heaven so that our excitement and our anticipation can build. So bear with me as I uh, walk you through what was preached on September 9th, 2018 in the Sanctuary of Strong Tower Bible Church. Uh, let me open up with prayer. God, I thank you that there are people around the country, yet alone in our city, who look forward to hearing you speak through us at Strong Tower Bible Church, that they tune in uh, to get a word from you. And God, we thank you for that responsibility that you've laid on us. We thank you, Lord God, for the fruit of the ministry. We thank you for your word and how it has that ability, that supernatural ability to challenge and to change each and every one of us. As you touch our mind with biblical thoughts and kingdom thoughts, you also, Lord, stir our hearts. So, Lord God, as I teach your people, I pray that you would teach me. Lord, um, this information is uh, new. It's evolving for me. And you're expanding upon my understanding of heaven. And so, Lord, I, I know I'm not by myself in that understanding. So bless the hearer of the word. Bless the teacher and preacher of the word. We love you, Lord. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I love to do is to go on vacation with my wife or to go on vacation with my family. Before we go on vacation, we like to look at brochures and read pamphlets and try to decide where we're going to go. And once we are able to decide where we're going, we then really begin to study the place to begin to study if we're going to Hawaii or if we're going to Jamaica or if we're going to St. Thomas. My family loves to go to the Caribbean and to warmer climates. Uh, once we decide where we're going to go, we then start researching where we're going. If we go on a cruise, we're trying to decide, okay, what excursions are we going to do? And we like to take cruises that go to multiple destinations and locations because we're trying to get as much bang for our buck as possible. Uh, we, we, we look at, are we going to swim with the dolphins? Are we going to go snorkeling? Uh, we look at the shopping in the area. Sometimes we even study the history of the region that we're going to because we may take a tour. My wife may take a cooking class. All of those things go into um, the vacation experience. And, uh, and, and as we do that, the anticipation builds before we even get to the place because we're excited about it. 
because of what we've learned about it. And because we've done the research, when we get there, we're able to enjoy what we studied. And what we see is usually better than what we saw in a pamphlet or in a brochure or online. And if we take that kind of um, discipline, that kind of energy to research going on a vacation, how much more should the people of God study about where we're going? How much more should the people of God look into where we're going after we die or when the Lord Jesus comes? What is it going to be like as the book of Hebrews describes that time as there, there being a rest for the people of God? So when we go to heaven, we're going to rest. When we go to heaven, we're going to have a good time. When we go to heaven, we're going to enjoy so many things, not only about God, but also about what God has prepared for us because I believe uh, because we have not done a good job in painting pictures whether literally or metaphorically about the afterlife it causes some to assume that going to heaven is going to be boring that all we're going to do is sit around on clouds uh, with wings and play harps and wear white robes and, and 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 talk to Peter at the pearly gates and if that's all heaven is about then that does sound boring, uh, but, but that is not what the Bible says heaven is about. And it's my prayer that through this series, we'll be able to learn about where we're going. Because once we learn about where we're going, it can help some of us who are struggling with the spirit of fear concerning our own death or the death of our loved ones. Um, Satan works in so many ways to deceive us, but when we have the truth, we're set free. So when we can have the anticipation of knowing that where we're going is greater than where we are, we can get excited over the fact that death is not a period. It's just a comma. And it's a gateway for the people of God to go from the land of the dying to the land of the living. But once again, what does heaven have for us? Even for our loved ones who have departed, um, we have questions about the bodies that they occupy now and will occupy later. We have questions about what are they doing? What will we do when we go to heaven? When the Bible says that we will be priests unto God, will be co-heirs with Jesus Christ, what does that mean? How does that work out? And so through this series, we want to answer those questions and many more. And once again, my prayer is that we'll get excited about this place that Jesus went away to prepare for us because he loves us. And although we can't know fully on this side, because we're looking through a glass dimly, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians that eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that God has prepared for those who love God. Neither has it entered into our hearts, but God has revealed these things to us by his spirit. So every now and then, the Holy Spirit gives us a glimpse of glory divine. Every now and then, the Holy Spirit shows us things from the word of God about the coming kingdom of God and our time with the Lord in heaven for all eternity. So today I'm going to begin with a foundational passage. Um, we're going to cover many passages over this course of time that will be in this series, but um, I could have started at any uh, of at a number of many passages, but I've chosen 2 Corinthians chapter 12 to help lay a foundation for us. And, and we're going to be in this passage 
four verses from 2 Corinthians 12 for uh, probably a month, maybe more. So let's get started. I'll begin reading at verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 from the New King James Version and the Bible reads, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So if I had to put a title on this message, it would be a preacher in paradise, part one, a preacher in paradise, part one. When we come to second Corinthians chapter 12, we realize that this letter is one of Paul's most personal letters. Paul shares things with this congregation that he doesn't share with other congregations. Um, he has to defend his apostleship because although he planted this church, there were people who came into this body long after Paul had left and gone on to other apostolic endeavors. There were men who came into the church who claimed to have apostolic authority, but they did not meet apostolic qualifications. Nevertheless, the people received these people and they also listened to the things that they taught. And many of the things that they taught were not only off, but these teachers also put down God's apostle, who was Paul. Paul, we know, was abnormally added to the group of apostles who helped lay the foundation of the church, according to the book of Ephesians. Uh, and so Paul had to write back to this church and express to them why he qualifies to be an apostle and why that gives him the authority to say certain things to that congregation. He also went so far as to say in chapter 11 that these quote unquote super apostles who nominated themselves to step into places of leadership in that church, that they weren't truly God's apostles. In fact, they were workers of Satan. And Paul goes on to say how if Satan can masquerade as an angel of light, it's no surprise that his workers do the same. So a pretty strong word um, to the church. But when it comes to guarding the sheep and guarding the integrity of the gospel message, sometimes leaders must have strong, poignant words like that. Now, as Paul begins to defend his apostleship, um, he's very hesitant to do that. And he feels like he's boasting to do that. And he knows that it's a foolish thing to boast because if any of us are to boast, we ought to boast in the Lord. We shouldn't talk about ourselves. But Paul felt like he was left with no other choice except to share with that church his apostolic resume. So in chapter 11, he lays out a host of things that he did that he felt accompanied the office of apostle. And a lot of what Paul said had to do with suffering and how he was beaten and shipwrecked and homeless and hungry. And, and he went on and on to, to share 
that, that these were the experiences that he had. He just didn't acquire this position without there being great, severe testing. And then later in chapter 12, he talks about the signs of an apostle were done among you while I was there. The ability to, to perform miracles on the spot, the ability to do wonders and signs. Those are the things that also accompany one that's been called by God to be an apostle. So Paul is laying out his case. And uh, I guess the capstone argument to prove his apostleship is when he begins to say, I have been to heaven and back. And he knows that the men who have uh, inserted themselves into that church as apostles, but they're really false apostles, that not only can they uh, not lay claim to the sufferings that accompany apostleship or the miracles and the power demonstrated through an apostle, he also knows that few people have had the experience that he had which was to go to heaven, to go to the third heaven, to go to paradise. And so Paul reluctantly shares this story because he said it happened 14 years ago. And, and, and what is implied in the text is that this is the first time he's sharing this. This is not something that that church had heard before. But because he had such a, a, a mighty moment with God in that uh, a time 14 years ago, he, he didn't talk about it, but he felt I'm left with no other choice but to share. And hopefully this will seal it once and for all that not only am I an apostle, but the words that I speak to you can be trusted. Uh, and, and, and Paul even goes on to say now, because of this experience that doesn't happen to everyone, that God allowed him to go through this experience to get caught up to the third heaven. And as Paul said, to hear inexpressible words. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. He didn't even talk about what he saw. Perhaps God did shielded his sight. One thing did work and, and those were his ears. And Paul said, the things I heard, I don't even know how to put into words what I heard when God teleported me, if you will, to the third heaven. And so uh, uh, Paul is making this point that with this great revelation, God gave me a great thorn. And that thorn was used to keep me humble so that I don't exalt myself beyond measure. So I don't walk around talking about, you know what, I, I've had an experience none of you guys have had. Uh, you know, and we, we can do that sometimes when God blesses us with experiences or opportunities. We can think we're better than other people. But for Paul, he said, God wanted to make sure he was held down. You ever seen those big hot air balloons and while they're on the ground, they have sandbags holding them down or they are literally tied to something that is firm or situated on the earth to keep them from drifting off. And Paul is saying that uh, so that I, I didn't get the big head because of my experience of going to the third heaven, God kept me grounded with a thorn in my flesh. He goes on to say it was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me to keep me humble, to keep me prayerful, to keep me dependent upon God's grace. So that's where we are. And that's where Paul comes to this point where he says, I was caught up to the third heaven. And he says in verse three, I, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. So he's saying that I don't know whether uh, I went there actually in my flesh or I had an out of body experience 
uh, he said he says i'm not sure but god knows and some assert that when you try to trace back the the 14 years from the time in which second corinthians was written that some theologians say that it occurred during paul's first missionary journey the 14 year um timetable and we know that during that first missionary journey uh, one of the cities in which Paul went into, uh, Lystra, that while he was there, he got stoned by um, the Judaizers who were upset with him preaching the gospel. And the Bible says that when they stoned him, they dragged him out of the city as though he were dead. But the disciples, the church gathered around him. And once again, what is implied is that when they gathered around, they prayed for him. And the Bible says he got back up and went back into the city. So it may have been that Paul may have quote unquote died from having been stoned. And during that time, he had an out of body experience where his spirit was taken by the Lord into the third heaven. Once again, we don't know for sure how or when this happened, but I just think it's just uh, interesting to contemplate that uh, as an apostle, he got stoned uh, to death, but the church prayed and God said, not yet. So whenever it occurred, it occurred. And the apostle says, I was caught up. And he says, I was caught up to the third heaven. And so we can deduct from that, that there are three heavens, the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. The Bible says in Genesis 1-1, the very first verse of the Old Testament, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens plural, and the earth. God created the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. Well, what's the first heaven? The first heaven is the immediate atmosphere which surrounds the earth. The first heaven, or, or, or the firmament, stretches about 62 miles high before entering into suborbital space. So the first, or the immediate atmosphere, is the wild blue yonder. What we can see when we look up into the sky and we can see the clouds and we see birds flying through the heavens. This is the first heaven and it spans or stretches about 62 miles high. Larger passenger planes can only fly about 7.8 miles high or 41,000 feet before the air gets thinner and the temperature gets colder. So when we're in those great metal birds and we're flying anywhere from 35,000 to 40,000 feet, we are still within the first heaven and we still haven't even got to the end of the first heaven where it begins to meld into the second heaven. And that's uh, discovered through the thinner atmosphere and uh, the temperature dropping. So planes have to stay at a particular place in order to be safe and to fly in a regulated manner. Um, but, but here's the point. I can't get up that high in the first heaven without help. I, I got it. See, when I played basketball, I had a vertical leap, man. I, I could get up, but gravity brought me back down and I can only get but so high. And so many years ago in the early 1900s, the Wright brothers had a vision and they worked that vision to be able to be the first men to fly. And from uh, Kitty Hawk to where we are today, we've seen the evolution of flight. 
And because of those planes, we can get up into the first heaven. But we also have to keep in mind that those planes are still limited. They can't get into the second or the third heaven. You see, the second heaven is outer space. It's the starry heaven. It's when we look up at night and we see the stars and we see the moon. We can even see the sun at a distance. This is uh, uh, space, outer space. And just like with the first heaven, man can't go up that high without help. Um, and so when man landed on the moon and when uh, we sent out space shuttles and space hubbles and satellites, but namely when man went to the moon he, or, or into space, he couldn't get that high without help. So if we're going to go up that high, we need help. And can you believe that there are some people who are trying to sell tickets uh, where people can jump into uh, rockets and go to Mars and things like that uh, because man wants to explore and also man wants to make a buck. And when you think about the eight planets in our solar system, uh, we're talking about Mer Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. Uh, Earth is the third planet from the sun and the only astronomical object known to harbor life. So from what the telescopes and the satellites have discovered thus far is that there's no life on Mars. Uh, there's no life on the moon there uh, right now uh, from what we know and what we believe to be true from the word of God. Only Earth has life on it and the Earth is ninety two point ninety six million miles from the sun. Uh, and the sun, by the way, is a star. Technically, the sun is a burning star and it takes the earth 365 days to orbit around the sun. The sun uh, is 109 times the diameter of earth and it is 400 times larger than the moon. So this star is huge. It, it, it just engulfs the size of the earth and we think the earth is large but the sun is much larger. Scientists estimate that there are 100 billion stars in our solar system, with the sun being the chief star in the solar system. So 100 billion stars. They also estimate that there are 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe with 100 billion stars in each galaxy. Oh my. Oh my, so now I, my head is starting to hurt a little bit as I'm trying to comprehend what may be incomprehensible to man. We thank God for scientists, mathematicians, and all these great men and women who can put calculations together. But when you put words like observable universe in your uh, uh, statements, that means that there's more to the second heaven than what meets the eye. And if we were to multiply the fact that there are 100 billion galaxies with 100 billion stars in each galaxy. I began to wonder, what is 100 billion times 100 billion? And I put that in in my computer and a, a, a number came out that wasn't a number. Don't laugh at me, y'all. But a number came out that said 1E plus 22 is the formula or the sum total of 100 billion times 100 billion. And Google immediately led me to the stars. It began to talk about the stars. It didn't talk about math. It talked about 
the stars uh, because they knew that when I was asking that question, I was talking about the stars. So y'all, it is just, it is beyond us. And it makes me celebrate the fact that in Genesis chapter 15, verses five and six, when God confirmed his covenant with Abraham, the Bible says he brought Abraham outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So God says, Abram, I know that your wife is barren. I know you feel limited. But this promise that I'm making to you to be the father of a great nation is not wholly dependent upon you. It is dependent upon me. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless you exceedingly. As a matter of fact, look up to the stars. If you can count them, that's how great your descendants are going to be. And of course, he couldn't count the stars. And Abram, Abraham wouldn't be able to count the numerous descendants that would come from he and Sarah. But God also told him uh, in another passage that if you're able to count the, the grains of sand on the seashore, so shall your descendants be also. So whether you are looking up because maybe you're having a good day and your head is up and you're singing a good song and you look into the heavens and you see how much God has blessed you to be a blessing. Or you're having one of those days where your head is hanging low and, and you're having trouble believing the promises of God. Even when your head is hanging down, you can still see the sand and be reminded of God's faithfulness, of God's promise to you. Oh, that's good news. Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. The heavens, plural, the first heaven, the second heaven, they declare the glory of God. So when we look at creation, when we look at not only the beauty of it, but the order of it, it causes us to give glory to the creator. That what we see and what we live in did not happen by chance. I once heard it said that if you uh, have an ink factory with some paper in it and you put a stick of dynamite in it and blow it up from the explosion, you do not get a phone book. You can't get a phone book from an explosion in an ink factory with paper in it. Uh, you get a mess. And so to think that we have an ordered universe from an explosion, um, it takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe that there is a God who spoke the world into existence. He's more than an intelligent designer. He's the God of gods. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the most high God. And the heavens declare his glory. If you see a beautiful painting, the painting is great, but you want to meet the painter. When you see a beautiful uh, sunset or you look up and you see a beautiful moon or a starry night, it's beautiful. But you want to meet the one who hung the stars and who made the moon. Psalm 8 verses 3 and 4 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? So when you look at the vastness and the awesomeness and the bigness and the beauty of the heavens of the universe, and you begin to then look at yourself and you feel so small and scrawny and puny compared to it all, you begin to say like the psalmist, who am I? What am I? That you would not only think of me, but that you would also visit me, that you would come down and tabernacle and dwell and, and make a way for me to know you. 
What is man that you are mindful of him? Oh my. Well, what is man? Man, woman, we were made in the image of God. And that gives us special beauty, a beauty that the stars don't even have. Because when God created the heavens and the earth, and he created, uh, uh, I believe on the third day and the fourth day, um, the, 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 the stars and the sun and the moon, the Bible says, God said, it's good. It's good. But when he made man on the sixth day in his image and in his likeness, he said concerning man and woman, he said, it is very good. So when you look at the human body, when you look at man being body, soul, and spirit, we are very good compared to a, a beautiful uh, uh, skyline, a beautiful uh, view of space. That's good. That's great. But man has a special place in the economy of God that not even the heavens have. And so although we are small by the grace of God, we are not insignificant. We are very significant to the point where God made a way for us to be forgiven and made right with him through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus, who became a man, by the way, who veiled his glory in human flesh. We are extremely important and significant to God. So I want to take a moment to speak to you who may be struggling with depression, who may be struggling with doubt, worry, fear, suicide. You don't think you're good enough, smart enough, pretty enough. Your hair isn't the right texture. Your skin isn't the right color. Your lips are too thin. Your, your nose is too wide. Your feet are too flat. You're too tall. You're too short. And you begin to question the beauty of God's handiwork in you. I want to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell. We rebuke that lie. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you are a marvelous work of God's creation. So celebrate who you are. He made no mistake when he made you. He made no mistake when he made you the way that you are. When he put you in the place that you live, the color of skin, the economic uh, makeup that he placed you in, the part of the world, there are no mistakes with God. So you believe who you are, that you're special to him. The Bible says in Psalm 8 verse 5, for you have made him, speaking of man, a little lower than the angels. And you crown him with glory and honor. My brothers and sisters, you've been crowned by God. He's given you glory and he's even given you honor. Oh, man. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But think of yourself highly because God loves you. Then, <coughs> excuse me, there's the third heaven, which Paul mentions in verse four of Second Corinthians chapter 12, how he was caught up into paradise. Or let me go back rather. He, it says in verse two, he was caught up to the third heaven. And in verse four, he goes further to define that third heaven as being caught up into paradise. Well, what is the third heaven? Yes, it's paradise. But the Bible also calls the third heaven, the highest heavens, or even the heaven of heavens. This is the place where God chooses to live. This is the place where he chooses to live. The third heaven is also where angels and the souls of righteous men, women, boys, and girls go to live upon death. 
Now, just as I couldn't get up to the first heaven without help, I couldn't get up to the second heaven without help. And you surely can't get up to the third heaven without help. Now, in the first heaven, man could help you get up high. In the second heaven, man could help you get up high. But in the third heaven, man can't help us get up this high. Only God, the God man, can help us get up that high. Oh, my goodness. So, oh, I'm, I'm not going to shout right now. Uh, so when we look at the third heaven, we have to recognize that uh, this is a place that God created that he may visit or dwell with men and women who've been made righteous by his grace. Uh, God did not live in heaven in eternity past. God existed in the present tense. God is God. God was God. God will always be God. And he created the heavens and the earth at a point in time. So before he created the heavens and the earth at a point in time, God always existed. And, and, and he existed without need of anything or anyone. But he created these things to give him glory. And the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, and this was at the dedication of the temple in which Solomon built. Solomon said, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple, which I have built. So the wisest man who ever lived apart from Jesus Christ, he makes a statement that as grand as this temple is and as beautiful as this holy box is called the Ark of the Covenant, that had two gold angels with its wings stretched out towards each other on the top of it called the mercy seat where blood would be sprinkled once a year on the day of atonement for the sins of the people. Uh, God said he would come down and dwell with the people in that temple, in the most holy place above the mercy seat, his Shekinah glory. He would come down. He would choose to limit himself the one where Solomon said the highest heavens can't even contain you. How much more this temple? God comes down to dwell with us. And if the highest heavens cannot contain him, that means the third heaven was created. And for him to come down, he once again limits the full expression of his godness when he dwells and visits with men. So, so, so y'all, I want you to see that Solomon said, he's so large, he's so big, he's so huge, he is so transcendent, he's so other than anyone or anything I've ever known or been able to comprehend. How can a temple contain him when the third heaven can't even contain him? Oh my, that's an awesome God. The Bible says in Psalm 8 verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. So God's glory is above the heavens. What heavens? The first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven. And his glory comes down and fills our hearts and our souls in the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. He's the most high God who, because of love for us, chooses to come down that he may fellowship and tabernacle and abide with us. I love when our worship leader, Dr. Joel Gibson, leads us in the song that says, The Lord is high above the heavens, 
Oh, think about that. The Lord is high above the heavens. The most high God came down for us. This is why it makes sense to me that when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended and went back to the father, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.14 that our high priest passed through the heavens. So when Jesus went back to his father, he passed through the first heaven, the second heaven, and even the third heaven. And he went back to that quote unquote place that he and the father alone experienced in eternity past. He went back to the bosom of the father when he ascended and went back to glory. He passed through the heavens. He's higher than the third heaven. This is the God that we worship. The Bible says in Hebrews 7, 26, that Jesus became higher than the heavens. So what's the point of this foundational message? Here's what I want you to see as I conclude. There are three heavens, according to Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, a legitimate apostle. There are three heavens and we can't go up without help. But getting up to the third heaven, just like Paul had an escort, God took him there. God must take us to the third heaven and he does that through his son. So the only way you and I can go up there to go up yonder is to receive the one who came down from yonder to take us back up. The Bible even describes Christ in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, as the incarnate ladder of Jacob. Remember when Jacob had the vision and he saw a ladder that uh, started in heaven and, and it came all the way down and touched the earth and angels went around that heaven and that that, that ladder, and that speaks of Jesus when he was introduced in Bethlehem and how the angels sang and celebrated the coming of the Son of God, that he came from heaven to earth so that through his death in our place, in his resurrection, he could take us back up the ladder to heaven, not only to heaven, but to the third heaven to abide with God. So we're going to build on this teaching in the days and weeks to come. But be encouraged to know that God came down to take you up to the third heaven where Paul said, I heard things I don't even know how to frame in words. Oh, I hope you stay with us in the weeks and days to come. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this preacher who was caught up to paradise. Thank you, Lord, for the third heaven. Thank you for being a great and awesome God who made a way for us to know you and to be with you. We worship you. We also, Lord, look at just the, 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 the power and the awesomeness and the majesty and the might that you possess to not only speak the world into existence, but also to speak the heavens into existence. And also through your son, Jesus, to hold the worlds together by the power of your word. And as the earth rotates around the sun, it also rotates on its own axis. And you allow that to happen without the earth getting too close to the sun and without the earth rotating off of its axis. Lord, you do that not only with earth, but with all the planets in our solar system and all of the planets and all of the galaxies. You are amazing. You are awesome. So, Lord, what are our problems today? They're minuscule. 
And as big as you are, you sit above the, the circle of the earth and you know everything that we go through. You know every hair that's on our head. Lord, I pray that our faith would grow as our understanding in who you are grows as a result of spending time in the word of God. So would you bless the hearer of the word and would you bless the doer of the word? We pray it all in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen.